0: Do you love sourdough bread, but think you lack the knack for making it? Do you long for an easy path to those complex flavors? We explore these issues and frustrations. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Eric Fabian, a home baker, dad, and co-founder of Sour House. Sour House envisions a world where people gather to share homemade sourdough bread and other fermented foods. Welcome, Eric.
1: Liz, thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to speak with you.
0: I think this is going to be a a really great conversation because I have to admit to you that I am a failure at sourdough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We all are. We all are. Every day (laughs) we bake.
0: And so I want to ask you how you got interested in sourdough.
1: I started baking... A handful of years ago, a little bit before the whole COVID wave. At that time, I was working from home. I was living in Brooklyn, New York and doing marketing consulting. And so I just had time to kind of puttering around my house between calls and stuff. And so I had watched a Netflix show by Michael Pollan where he talked about kind of these basic elements of food. And there's an episode on air and he discussed bread, pretty sourdough bread as a fermented food. And that kind of clicked something for me because I had tried to bake bread a few times in my younger years and didn't have any real success with it. I tried to make a starter once years ago, didn't have success. And um, and it just like something about that. I was just like, Oh, this is, this is something that's more similar to like sauerkraut and other fermented foods than, other things. Cause I, I think of myself more as a cook than like a a baker, you know, I don't, I don't make cookies mm-hmm. or cakes that much. Um, and uh, so that just made me really interested in it. And so I tried to make a starter. It took me a month, but eventually I got it going. I baked some bread. I was very proud of it. And then I just kind of fit that into my kind of work from home lifestyle and I had young kids. So was one at the time. And, and so I very much uh, kind of enjoyed starting to make him bread and like not having to serve him store-bought, you know, kind of bread any longer. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of went from there.
0: So do you feel that what you're doing, aside from the fact that it's freshly made and it's made by you, the fact that it's sourdough is different than using just packaged yeast?
1: Well, y- I mean, yes, in many ways, you know, in terms of flavor, of course, it it has a a different kind of more complex flavor profile than most yeasted breads. The texture is different, typically maybe a little bit heavier, but you know, you may enjoy that for its heartiness and the kind of sense of reality that's there. My original dream was to do very like, you know, 100% whole grain, home milled kind of hippie loaves. And I quickly realized how difficult that is, Um, so I started, you know, working with more white, white flowers, but, but I think that, um, not only is the way that you taste and experience the bread different, but the process of baking is so different. And I would say that I like baking it even more than I like eating it and going through this like very long kind of process that can take anywhere from a day to a few days where you're not doing that much activity, but you're just like keeping track of, of food. It's it's really slow food, you know, more akin to like braising or something, right? Or, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and I think that process of, you know, taking flour and water, very simple ingredients, manipulating it a bit, calling forth the forces of nature and allowing it to ferment is really magical. And I think it's the closest thing I could think of to real, you know, what I think of as magic, you know, of, of storybooks. <laughs> and, and so I just really like that. And people really like sourdough. It's like it's, it feels special, you know, it's really fun to give to people. And um, and I think that, you know, any kind of homemade bread is great. Um, but sourdough has has a little bit more something. And there's a whole like kind of history and kind of like aura around it um that I think we could probably dig into more in this in this conversation that is interesting as well.
0: So all right, I'm gonna tell you where my failures lie. Number okay. one. I have a lot of trouble with discard. Okay. Mm-hmm. It just goes against everything in my brain and it's just, there's just too much. You can't ever use it. And I'm not a big pancake eater or all these mm-hmm. other kinds of things that people say to do with it, all of which I'm glad somebody is using it, but it drives me crazy to the point mm-hmm. where I stop doing it because I don't I don't want to have that. So that's number one. Number two, I feel like I have a pet and um, I have to feed it. I have to take care of it and I don't want to. So (laughs) it's just like, oh, I forgot to do that today. It just doesn't fit into everything that I'm doing And I don't want to have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I forgot to do that. I have to go do that now. And uh, that that taking care of it part, I find a total nuisance and I don't feel loving toward it or anything. I find it a chore. And uh, so that's number two. And then number three, I live in New Orleans and the conditions of getting all kinds of gunk in there, um, is really strong. I mean, that's why nobody really makes cheese here or anything like that, because everything just rots. So I think I'm in a climate that isn't conducive anyway. So that makes all my other feelings toward it, you know, you have to be more attentive to it and take better care of it. And so it's like, okay, that's it. Mm-hmm. Now I've had people give me sourdough and I've used it immediately and made bread with it, but I don't even like the fact that I have to keep track of, Oh goodness, how, when am I going to have to deal with this bread again? Mm, That's going to be in the middle of the night because I couldn't work on it till I came home from work and you know, whatever. So how do you deal with that? Or do you just say, well, Liz, you're just not a good candidate?
1: (laughs) Possibly. I mean, I, I think you people find um, get hooked on sourdough baking for a variety of reasons. And, you know, some people really enjoy the process of making it. Some people like being more connected to the food and where it comes from. Some people like the challenge of all these things that you're kind of putting forth and trying to overcome it and create a perfect loaf. Um, the ways that a lot of people have problems with that. Um, I, I do as well. And there's a lot of ways of trying to mitigate that from, you know, keeping your starter in the refrigerator so it is more or less dormant and you don't have to feed it less. Um, There's downsides to that because you can forget about it and, you know, maybe bake less because of it. Uh, But you can always pop bring it out and use it as needed in that case. You can also store it like for longer term in in a dried form just by dehydrating the starter itself into like a a cracker type flake. Uh, It stays pretty much infinitely, especially if you put it in the freezer as well um in that form and you can just rehydrate it it takes a day or so and then bake from there if you want to use if you bake really sporadically um a lot of people take a real minimalist approach to the amount of starter they keep so they you know they bake just on the weekends they may feed like initially just you know 10 grams of starter 10 grams of water 10 grams of flour so they have about 30 grams of starter and then the next but instead of discarding it they just um grow from there over the course of a week. And then, so by the weekend they end up with enough starter to bake, you know, once or twice. And if they figure out the math correctly for their cycle of baking, then they don't actually waste it. They, they are really use all of it. Um, it just takes a little bit of figuring out, you know, your schedule and so on. But, you know, we, um, this idea of kind of figuring out how to simplify the whole process, you know, take away the things that are burdensome and let you enjoy the things that you didn't enjoy that's you know one of the reasons like we created a sour house and we you know focus on providing people tools that simplify different aspects of baking whether it's cleaning the jars or or whatever I think the the burden of caring for the starter is a is a funny one because like you know some people like pets some people don't that might be just like a deal breaker <laughs> I I do think you You know, one of the things you, once you figure out the basics of how to like make a loaf of bread, figuring out how you fit the like process of baking into your life and make adjustments. That's kind of like the next thing a lot of people end up focusing on because it does feel like you're serving the sourdough at first because it it has, you know, a timing to it that you have to pay attention to. And once you realize that it's actually quite flexible, you can use the fridge and other kind of tools to kind of control the timing of it. You can make it work. So you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night to, to feed anything or, or, and you can do it like after you get home from work or, or whatever. And there's a lot of ways, you know, it's kind of a deep topic, but you know, there's a lot of ways that you can change the schedules so it works for you. And then, yeah, some climates are just tougher. I'm always surprised by the number of people that, um, you know, there are customers of mine or, or. Who I interact with on like bread forums who live in places like Singapore, Hong Kong, who are interested in baking bread and figuring out how to do it in those kind of climates. We, you know, I'm in this farther in the south now. I live in North Carolina, in the Appalachia, kind of western North Carolina area near in Asheville. And uh, it's hotter down here and there's not the 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 same kind of history of sourdough in these regions, um, in part because the flowers that tend to grow here tend to be softer wheat mm-hmm. which tends to be less appropriate for um that kind of artisanal loaf people want to often create but um the heat is an issue but you know you can cool it down if you want to make it happen it's just it's just a matter of like cooling down the starter to kind of keep it in like an ideal range so it doesn't overproof doesn't get too sour doesn't run away from you you know keeping your hygiene clean so you don't encourage the growth of molds or anything that would contaminate your, your starter and it's just like a different challenge. It's like whether you want to take it on or not, and whether you enjoy the outcome in terms of the bread, in terms of the sharing it um, more than you know the problems, I suppose, of, of <laughs> doing it. But you know, some people just like to eat sourdough bread, and they're needed too. They're important because, like you know, bakers, we love to give bread away because we just can't eat. every, <laughs> you quickly end up making more bread than you can eat yourself, so you need people to give it to.
0: Yeah, I guess that's part of my issue is you're describing, you know, really liking the actual act of doing it more than necessarily eating it all the time. And to me, it's only an end product. It's not the process. And so I can see where I'm just not maybe a good candidate um, as I say, I don't have a pet. I intentionally don't have a pet. You know, it's not like I'm clean uh-huh. pets or whatever, because I know that I have to walk a dog or do something with a cat or whatever. And I don't want to. And
1: yeah. uh, so... yeah, totally. <laughs> I hear you. I I, my son would love to have a dog. And I, can't, I don't, I, I don't have room for a dog in my life right now. Um, and sometimes my starter, you know, can feel like a lot but you know it's also fascinating how attached people do get to their starters um mm-hmm. you know there's this tradition of naming them and um and you yes. do create this bond that with them that is um like a pet or keeping a garden or an aquarium or something like that and um you know unlike those things you know the the slurry of flower and water that makes up a starter is really just an environment or many, many microorganisms. Mm-hmm. So it's much more like a garden than a dog. And, you know, it goes through these life cycles of like growth and then crash. And, and you know, you're feeding it basically to keep the civilization alive. But it's a re- very robust civil- civilization. And, you know, there are many people who uh, are quite neglectful in their <laughs> approach to caring for their uh, starter pet and uh, continually bring it back to life from right from the brink and uh, kind of enjoy <laughs> seeing how far they can push that, uh, <laughs> that process. So, you know, it, you may, may, maybe you're the kind of person that this would love, love torturing a starter and <laughs> seeing how, how, how far but you can I think
0: it. I'm the kind of person who needs to know somebody who has too much starter and can give yes. me discards yes. on a regular basis. There you that that might be like a secondary tier of what happens at uh Sour House. People like me, who find a local person that Mm -hmm. um, says, I can't stand to throw this away over and over again. I can't make enough waffles. I can't make enough pancakes. I can't make enough of whatever to deal with my discard. But I'd love to know somebody who would take it.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. And it's a really, you know, kind of like a modern problem right because before we had refrigeration and even in the early days of refrigeration when we didn't have Cheerios and other you know <laughs> breakfast foods like right. that were quite so easy to produce you know we had to still feed ourselves and feed our families and mm-hmm. um and so having something that was as productive as uh, sourdough starter can be is actually a benefit right mm-hmm. and um and I think we I, I faced the same um issue with gardening today uh, or even when I join like a like a CSA like I often get more than I can handle uh, and it's you know sometimes fun to explore pickling or you know different ways of storing food or you know making broths and just finding ways to be creative to kind of deal with that quantity Um, but you can easily get overwhelmed in our modern lives where we're used to much more convenient kind of foods and we haven't built these like systems of of uh, production and consumption and storage that were kind of different. I think, you know, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, right? 1, years ago, right? Back, back.
0: And I tend to partner with people who have too much zucchini or too uh, much whatever. And I say, okay, give it to me. And then I might pickle it or turn it into something else and then give them back half. And so yeah. we each contributed something, but I've done the part I enjoy. They've done the part they enjoy. And then we both are happy with what happens.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I think that kind of food economy where people specialize, like, you know, you can see that in the history of sourdough as well Is like, you know, people made their own food, but quickly a lot of cities would like organize around a central bakery. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's like a shared oven that everybody brings their bread to and somebody bakes it for them or um, they all have access to. And, uh, and obviously now, um, people tend to buy bread from, from bakeries rather than bringing their own, but i like that, that kind of exchange. And, you know, and that's, I think our vision for Sour House is, is ultimately for, we're fermentation enthusiasts and mm-hmm. find that process really exciting. And I, and the way that it provokes these kind of economies of sharing and, and just generosity because of, you know. People that participate in these activities tend to be very generous because they just have abundance, mm-hmm. and you know. And I think in a world where we're constantly dealing with um, scarcity, you know, finding systems that are you know more regenerative and create abundance is actually gold. And and so trying to create more enjoyment and appreciation and um, engagement with fermented foods in general, and then this slide, you know, I think that the the world that you kind of articulate where. You know, people are making exchanges based on the kind of things that they enjoy. That's beautiful. And I think that's like a, a great way of kind of getting to a, a a better kind of food economy and a and a more healthy kind of way of eating and, and being together as a community in an increasingly disconnected world.
0: And and I I really believe in fermented food. I mean, I make vinegar mm-hmm. and uh it takes it it takes less attention than, uh, than making a sourdough starter. Um, and But I believe in it because I really think it's good for you to have, you know, all of this bacteria and other organisms that you're eating every day and that it's good for your gut health and all of those things, which, I, so I believe in, I believe in sourdough. I believe in fermenting. I just don't enjoy doing it. Well,
1: yeah, and and you know, I don't want to try to convince you. No, to, no, to I am But I, 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 I like I, I like that you to have something. Right? Yeah, yeah. I have. I I think my opinion is like sauerkraut and sour sourdough are the, like the two gateway drugs of fermented foods, right? And like vinegar is a great one. You know, you can make soy sauce. You can make you know all kinds of things. You can preserve meats in different ways. Like Mm -hmm. there's all this fun stuff to explore if you are a curious cook. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that it's good that anybody finds their own way in and, and, you know, the, the impact on health while still, you know, emerging is very fascinating. And, and I think that just the way it expands the palate and brings in different flavors into your diet is really great. And so I think it's all good. You know, it's just like, um, I, I just hope that we can get to the point, like I can see the the utility of exploring it as a hobby and like the way that things like vinegars and um beer and you know sourdough can be positioned as these kind of like bougie kind of like luxury kind of goods um and that is a f- kind of function of culture and, and economics but but i do think that they they're also just these human ways of feeding ourselves that brings food back home into our own lives that we have control over. We are, con- uh, you know, we can control the source of production and it's empowering. And and like, I think that kind of practice and kind of finding ways to fit into our lives and embrace the slowness of times and embrace the, the mistakes that come along with it um, is, is really good for the overall kind of, you know, where we are, at least in America, you know, this like, kind of culture that's, you know, been driven by faster and faster, easier and easier and more and more processed foods.
0: So let me ask you about Sour House. So mm-hmm. did you design this with the idea of having products or did you really just try to form a community of people who were also involved in things that are fermented?
1: Well, I, you know, it really started, uh, we're kind of like a COVID baby. Um, we really, the first, I had like left New York with my family just the early days, just before the lockdown started of there in March, 2020. And so I ended up with some family in Florida for a period. And I started March, 2020, or like right away, starting to like reach out to friends and like be like, I'm now a stay-at-home dad. I need some adult conversation, please talk to me. And, you know, and and so one of my friends who's still in Brooklyn, um, Jenny, um, Jennifer Olson, who's now my co-founder uh, at Sour House, we started like a weekly chat and we were talking about, she's an industrial designer. My background's in the arts and and marketing and and like telling stories and and stuff. And I, and we started talking about, you know, design and so on. And I started talking about like this thing that was happening with sourdough at the time where everybody suddenly was baking and there was no yeast available. And, and, um, and there was no flour.
0: There was no flour.
1: Yeah. yeah, There's just shortages. Right. So it was like, it was, it was on top of people's minds and, and um. And I was talking about the community and how interesting it was because I was active in some of the forums and and she just kind of got interested in it. And I had an idea from kind of the early days that had been brewing in my head for a device that would warm your starter. Uh, and so every baker keeps the sourdough starter. It's a slurry of flour and water. It's inoculated with the you know kind of the microbes that create sourdough bread. And I found that mine was always looking for a warm spot in the kitchen. It was sort of living this like wandering life where I was always like t- tucking it away in the nooks and crannies to try to keep it active. And I even when I first made my first starter, it you know I made it in a, a cold Brooklyn kitchen, like in the fall, it was like sixty you know degrees overnight or something in my apartment, and and I was really struggling to to create it and to get it going. And um, it wasn't until I realized like oh it's just cold in here, I just need to warm it up. Um, that really came together and it started to work. And I think this, just this little insight of like, most of us live in homes that are cooler than our starter really jo- enjoys and where our starter is most active. We like to live in homes that are like maybe 68, 72 degrees, where the starter likes the spa life. We we call it the Goldilocks zone of seventy-five to eighty-two degrees, That's where both the yeasts and the, the bacteria there in starter are most active. So I had this idea for a product, shared it with Jenny. She gave me a bunch of feedback, and you know, eventually I kind of helped her kind of get going baking bread and. She just kind of got hooked on it and we just kind of kept working on it. And so this device, which became what we call Goldie by Sour House and is like the first, you know, sourdough jar warmer that it kind of exists now that's dedicated to that. It was just like a two-year process of uh kind of, you know, hammering away at this idea of what this product was. And along the way, you know, I my background's in building brands and like so. I'm always thinking about the brand and you know, thinking about what it is. I think the notion of like what our mission would be and what our vision for the world kind of emerged from our collaboration and from some early, you know, we launched our brand, you know, Sour House to the world, like a year in thinking that we were getting close to launching our product as a crowdfunding campaign. We weren't quite ready yet. So we delayed that, but we were already kind of public. So we started interacting with people on Instagram we did a campaign around we called sourdough hope, which was collecting hopeful stories uh, of sourdough baking, kind of in the midst of like everybody was really, you know, depressed and stressed out by COVID. So yeah. like 2001 or, or 20, 2021, and um, uh, so we shared a bunch of these kind of positive stories. So we've always been kind of doing other things than just making physical like appliances and type like, products and jars, and we plan to continue to do that. But ultimately, you know, it's my my feeling as, as somebody with my background that culture is shaped you know by economics by cultural events but there's also this powerful role that the objects we use shape culture and within the world we exist today the, a lot of the art objects we use are brought to us by the marketplace and so just like you know an iphone changes your life in, in many ways providing bakers with attractive, useful tools that allow them to make baking easier and kind of more fun and inspiring to do, which is baking as a, as a cultural entity. But, and then also just like in the home, like I I've observed that baking tools tend to get kind of put off into the cupboard. And whereas like our counter is reserved for things like our coffee, our beautiful coffee machine or our beautiful kitchen mixer. And so these other activities have more of a central place in our home. Where at the same time, if you look on Instagram, people are sharing all their beautiful loaves and they're very, they're, there's a big economy around building identity as a sourdough baker that is, is happening right now and got accelerated because of COVID. So providing kind of tools of identity, platforms for identity in the home that um, bring your kind of love for sourdough and centralize it in the kitchen. And, you know, if you have a dinner party and people come over and you can it's kind of on display and you can kind of talk about your sourdough starter and your hobby and stuff. Um, that, that kind of stuff I feel like is actually an important driver, um, for making cultural change. So we want to tell stories. We want to give education. We want to help people get inspired about bread and fermentation and stuff in, in many ways, but I actually feel like the, the products is, is, is a really important tool for, for making it happen.
0: And so do you have other products that are in development?
1: We do. So, you know, right now our, we have our. Goldie. And then we have a couple jars um, that are specifically for keeping starter starter. We have a few other little things like we have a magnet um that's it helps you kind of keep track of what we call the rise time. So as if a person like you is trying to figure out how to fit their your baking into your life, understanding the timing of your starter is important. So it allows you to note that down. Um, we have a kind of like a whole pipeline of ideas though, um, both like small accessory type things and then other variations in this kind of starter care warming kind of thread um that are um that we hope to get to over the next few years i feel like we're kind of at the the front of a of a new kind of renaissance of like sourdough entrepreneurship and you know the first wave of it was really during covid like everybody stopped kind of went home and started micro bakeries or or started like online classes for Mm -hmm. sourdough baking and that kind of happened for a while and uh, and then there were some people like me who already started baking and started creating products. And, um, and so I know there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a handful of other entrepreneurs making stuff in this category right now um, that we'll probably see coming to the, coming to the world. So I'm really excited to like um, kind of just be a part of like growing uh, kind of a category, like a, a market for sourdough home baking, um, that maybe hopefully someday will rival, you know, what happens with coffee or, you know, barbecue or something like that, which are huge industries. Right. And there's so much passion around it. And, um, and I think that sourdough, which has been an activity people have done for a thousand years, you know, is, is a a big candidate for that.
0: Well, I'll tell you every time I kill my vinegar mother, which happens pretty regularly, because as I say, I not good with pets. I go to the homebrew and wine company that's here in New Orleans and I buy some more and, uh, you know, throw out everything that's stinky and yucky because I forgot to feed it. And um, then I start over. So it would be really interesting if there were a place where you could go and get sourdough starter, uh, whether it's dried or alive you know not alive but wet and uh, that would be um a really interesting product if you made enough where you're using your discard all the time to uh to maybe dry it and make it possible for somebody to buy it so they don't have to have their own but they could still have the benefit of making sourdough bread
1: yeah we i i do give a lot away and um i um I'm hesitant to in a public forum talk about all the ways that I do that because I can I can't quite keep up with what I give away right now. I don't have <laughs> we're, we're a very small company. So it's like sure. I don't have sure. the infrastructure to do it. Um, but I've personally given away hundreds of starters at this point and like help create, you know, hundreds of bakers. And and that's one of the things I'm super proud of. And I kind of have an internal goal for a company to try to give away or, you know, kind of create, um, you know, several thousand new bakers over the, the next couple of few years, but there are various ways to get starter. Um, they people do sell it in various forms. Um, so you can get through Amazon. Um, there's a friend of Carl I think they're called, um, that, um, have a, an old, um, kind of goes back to 1800s kind of starter. That's, that's preserved by a whole community of people. Mm-hmm, and you can mm-hmm. just send them an envelope and they'll mail it to you. Um, and uh, that's been going on for a lot of years. Um, so there are various ways you can get it, but you know, I think this this notion that um having it available, sort of in your neighborhood at the grocery, where you can kind of go and get it as needed, and maybe use uh-huh. it for a few bakes and then let it go away. You know, that's super interesting, and I think um, you know, it, it's kind of like I feel like that might be a role for the bakeries. Um, it, it, that are establishing themselves in different communities because you know they've got starter they've got plenty of starter to give right, away right, and, uh, right. and I, I think they probably want people to come in and um purchase some bread and i still you know as a baker you know i still buy sourdough bread from the farmers market and stuff and support try to support uh, bakeries and and i think that um you know I I hope, and usually this is the case, I hope that the professional bakeries and the home baker, you know, they see themselves as collaborative and, you know, working together and it's not like a, by teaching people to bake or giving them access to starter, doesn't, isn't going to take away sales for, for a bakery. It's going to probably just increase interest and, um, and kind of appreciation for the product. Mm -hmm.
0: I th- I think it would, and it would normalize it in a different way too, because mm-hmm. it would make sourdough something that people could could do, and they could move in and out of it. So that if they're really busy right now and they're going away for three weeks because they have you know some reason to do that, they can still come back and come back to it. And uh, I I think yeah. that that's that's something that. It's missing because it it almost has a a messianic reputation, you know, of, oh, you have to just, you know, love this sourdough and uh, and, you know, send it to that library, the sourdough library and all of the things that you can do. Whereas I think if it were just something that seemed, well, I don't have to. I don't have to do this all the time. It's not like this long-term commitment. I can just come in, buy this this starter, which I can use right away. And, um, and then, you know, I might not make another loaf of sourdough for two months because I, but I, I mean, I do do bake bread with regular yeast that, you know, commercial yeast that I buy. But even that, you know, I don't do all the time. Um, so anyway, it would normalize it so that people would not feel that it is quite as intimidating, especially if they'd made a few loaves and felt really comfortable with it. And then they might say, well, I might just keep this all the time.
1: Liz, I got to got to join us for our product development feedback sessions. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got lots of ideas. Um, i think that uh well it's yeah it's a good I'm... point it's like it is a barrier you know i think that like, access the starter creating a first starter getting it definitely in my thinking is like that's a barrier i think learning getting over the first the hump to make your first loaf that's a, like another barrier right and then fitting in your life some people do uh i think some par-baked loaves as well and um And I think it might also be kind of interesting if bakeries were to make available, like around four o'clock in the afternoon, a handful of doughs that are like been in the fridge and ready to use. Uh, I think that access the starter kind of as needed. Yeah. It's interesting. Like um, I, you know, I hope we get we get to the point someday where we have relationships with either a you know, a network of bakeries or you know, grocery stores or such where we could provide something like that in a used way. Starter is very difficult. I mean, but it's also difficult as a product to sell because like I've just I've had great videos and stuff to kind of for our like when we did our Kickstarter campaign and um just wrangling starter, keeping it at the right state so it's ready to use and whether it looks good for a photograph or you know, is ready to use for your home needs is is, is a challenge because it's, you know, it can be moody and it goes through its life cycle. So dried starter is actually the best thing mm-hmm. for offering to other people. Offering
0: to people yeah, sure. You just
1: have to still, you know, it takes a day to kind of get it going um, for the baker. So you have to kind of buy it on Thursday. If you're going to bake for a, you can have some people over for a party or something on the weekend.
0: I guess for somebody like me, the, the making of the bread, the baking of it or whatever, that is not the, that isn't intimidating. I make bread, so I'm yeah. not. It's just the the regularity and commitment toward the starter that I'm, uh, and then the a really strong, I can't stand to discard this stuff yeah. feeling. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah, totally. I think it's fair. I think you know any of these kind of cultural problems, I feel like you solve um, by either removing barriers um that's a good thing or by creating inspiration and like carrots that bring people along right and so that's also an area you know we focus on it's like you know trying to create attractive things that people want to be a part of communities that people want to be a part of you know try to have fun with it and make it um you know while we try to hold a kind of a high standard of aesthetics um in terms of the things the objects we are making um we try to have a more accessible human um, kind of dialogue around the bread itself. And my, my big belief is like, you know, I'm a big believer in the good enough loaf. There's a lot of people out there searching for like the perfect loaf. Like uh-huh. I believe the good enough loaf is much better than what you're going to get at the store and you'll made it yourself and be quite proud of it. So, you know, just go make bread. And, um, and I think that another thing I'm really fascinated with is the ovens. Like, you know, I would love to have a huge, like wood fired oven at some point mm-hmm. and like, you know, build that kind of thing. and and build it and i could really see if if you know we can get the world to the point where there's enough baking happening the idea of like you know having like community ovens again and like places you can go bake your bread maybe share you know eat eat a meal together or whatever it's like i think that's lovely too and another way of kind of inspiring people to kind of get excited about it and you know in our You know, not necessarily directly in our space, but, you know, thinking about other types of products and objects people have made to kind of, you know, continue to grow these types of interests in the pizza space, which is sort of parallel to us. Like one of the huge projects is this like uni uh, pizza oven. Right. They've kind of created a grill type concept for pizza that people are now putting in their backyards. And I think there's a lot of people who, you know, just love toys, geek out about technology and that helps incentivize kind of activity and definitely within sourdough there's a whole world of like you know kind of techie geeks who want to solve sourdough because it's so complicated and strange and mysterious in many ways and so they want to apply that very analytical minds to it and they love to build things and you know DIY solutions for all this stuff and so um, you know I think that that kind of like world of ovens and, and tools also um, helps bring a lot of people into it. Right.
0: Well, Eric, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great conversation.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. It's great to talk with you and just, I'm happy, you know, I can talk about sourdough bread forever. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.